Ladies and gentlemen, what is going on? Uh, back like we never left. This is all for the record. Uh, I am Adon Bean, and uh, I am here with um, a lovely cast of characters. With his off the record, but we will just talk about any and everything that has happened uh, or could happen. Um, and uh, yeah, so you know we're gonna get into it. So uh, man, I got my trusty homie to the left right here, Dan Duncan. How are you, sir? I'm good. Yeah. Uh, it's good to be here. It's good to be back, back to back weeks off the record. Look at that! How we look at that? We are consistency. It, it, what is it? May and we're making our New Year's resolutions come true. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> like never before. Um, yeah. So uh, David Perdue is out. What doing like Hollywood stuff? Like, yeah, he's like. I think he was going to be super late again, so we just yeah we just we had replaced to move on. that man. Um, but we have a, a voice here that is, um, I'm happy to see, um, uh, the first lady of the district, you know, she's the Ashanti of our oh. label. No, I don't, Come I don't on, know Claire. if that, yeah, nah, that does I'm just trying not. to think of like first lady of rap, like, of rap labels. Um, I don't know. Nonetheless, I can't think of anyone better or any, any, nah, you're, <laughs> you're much greater, <laughs> but that is the voice of Yvette. How are you doing? I'm doing well, doing yeah. well, you know, just got back celebrating my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. Nice. Nice. So, my parents will be married 50 years 50 this year. Years. Yeah. In September. Look at that. Look at that. Man. It happens. <laughs> it, it, it does happen. It does. Uh, they have a good time. Where, where did they, where did, where did the celebration occur? We in South Carolina. Okay. So we visited Charleston and had dinner. Nice. Nice, great weekend of nostalgia and <laughs> good music. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they still look as in love and everything. As, as in love. They got married at 19 and 21. So wow. 69 and 71. Wow. Wow. Yes, indeed. Beautiful. Beautiful indeed. That is awesome. I'm going to pivot very awkwardly to Doc and say, how was your marriage? <laughs> my, my marriage successfully survived a trip to Six Flags this past weekend. Oh my goodness, that is amazing! So all is well <laughs> for you. I tell you, like I feel like Six Flags is right up there with like IKEA in terms of testing a relationship. Uh, so that's that's beautiful, man. That, that voice you hear is uh, the co-host of uh, Clock Radio Speakers and. Um, we are doing some cross pod pollination or something of That's some right. sort. Yes, yeah, something like that. Something like that. And uh yeah, man. So we brought in the reserves, brought in the, the good homies. And um yeah, man, uh, but everything's well out even outside of the six flag trip. How's your life? Ah, <sighs> life is good. Life is good. I uh you know, it's funny, Wednesdays are typically just brutal days because you know, we record clock radio speakers on Tuesday night mm -hmm. and then I edit immediately after. So last night we recorded for two and a half hours. Right. And then, you know, I edit for another edit and post and get everything ready for another two hours after that. Yeah. And then I wake up at 5 a.m. And so I'm, oh. <laughs> I'm not sure my clock has a five on it. To be honest. I'm pretty sure. So, mine is you know, <laughs> you know, yeah, all, even all that considered. Yeah. Happy to be here. Everything's good. Man, like you really do need clock radio speakers uh, if you are waking up at, at five in the morning uh, for 
for what I just came to find out is what a 45 minute to an hour commute. How long is your commute? Yeah. I mean, it depends on the day. Mm. Um, I, uh, I work at the, I work at Yale university mm-hmm. and, uh, I, I live on a good day, 40 to 45 minutes on a bad day, 60 minutes away. So got you, man. Yeah. Doc's yeah. extra smart. Y'all <laughs> extra smart. I, I worked there. I didn't go there. Hey, that's <laughs> all the same me. to me, bro. They let you Believe on the me. premises. Yeah. <laughs> Believe me, they, they, they make that very clear to me. The fact that I went to the University of Connecticut. They ask me questions like, don't they have cows up there? Oh, wow. Or, yeah, like they, you know, you. The, you know, the slander. They're really up in the ivory tower. And I'm just like, <laughs> man, you know. Guys, I watched some Johnny Tsunami last night. Okay. You, has anyone ever seen Johnny Tsunami? I have, I have not. It's a classic Disney movie okay. from back in the day. Okay. But it does a lot to teach you about the urchins and the skies. And that's this <laughs> the two groups that are okay. presented in this movie. <laughs> okay. So it's like the, basically Yale and Connecticut, apparently. Okay. Uh, <laughs> okay. But, you know, if there's snowboarding and surfing, so I was in. Okay. But it, it's <laughs> funny you mentioned old Disney movies because what I gave up, I, I, totally, I totally didn't see your message Dan about being on on the show today. So I was sitting there. I just sat down. The missus and I had had selected blank check. Yes. <laughs> Wait, that is that is a Ben Affleck movie. No, 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 the one with the kid that gets run over by the bike, and they write, oh. and the rich guy gives him a check. And uh, okay, what blank am I check thinking? pops up in the suggested few on Netflix, and Come I was on. just like, I know. That's I. That's why we're friends. That's why we're friends. <laughs> That's oh amazing. And then we sit down to watch it and I'm like, I don't remember any of, you know, cause I remember like probably five things from that movie. Not none of which are this like super serious intro. And then all of a sudden I'm like, okay, well let me pull out the laptop and I'm like, oh right. I'm supposed to be on this podcast. <laughs> Got you. I was thinking about the 2003 classic paycheck. It's not a classic, but yes, it uh, featured Ben Affleck and Aaron Eckhart and somebody else that I don't remember. Not but, Aaron Hernandez. No, no, it was not Aaron Hernandez. Uh, cause he's dead. Okay, he is dead. That is true. He is not alive anymore. We found that out this morning uh, that one one convicted killer um, and uh, former New England Patriot uh, has. I mean, once a Patriot, always a Patriot, right? That's that's the that's the line we're going with. I will say that we all we do have a, a New England fan on on this episode or whatever <laughs> he's Doc. gotten really quiet i was gonna say i can't believe it's taken dan this long to finally come out but no uh yeah of course oh um, nice <laughs> doc you are a new england patriot fan you yes sir okay um so tell me this <laughs> like i and like this is just we're just gonna go macro first like right, right, right. like are you about powerhouses in general like i know no. you went to uconn and of course you are a uh, you know, UConn women's basketball fan, right? Yeah, you kind of have to be like they kind of stop you at the at the state border and they check you. No, um, yeah, of course. Um, no, I, I went to UConn. I uh, I find excuses to go to virtually any UConn sporting event humanly possible. Okay. I, I own season tickets to UConn hockey for crying out loud. Okay. Um, and uh, but no, I mean in general, in Connecticut, you can sort of right down. So roughly down the center of the state you have the Connecticut river and roughly speaking the east side of the river that's Boston area fans. The west side of the state is roughly New York area fans. Okay. So my, my family's from the Eastern side of the state. And so 
Red Sox fan, Patriots fan, et cetera. Mm, okay. Um, those, those other people on the other side of the state, Yankees, Knicks, God bless the Mets and Jets fans. Like I just, you know, actually Mets aren't bad enough, but man. Woo. Yeah. So yeah. Um, and it's always the same, right? You always, it's always like Knicks and Giants mm-hmm. and it's almost always Mets and Jets. Very little cross pollination there. Got you. Uh, uh, so you are, you are a Patriots fan. How did you feel? What, what were your feelings when you found out that, uh, Aaron Hernandez, uh, apparently committed suicide on the same day that your new England Patriots were going to the white house to meet, uh, one small handed president <laughs> and how, just what were your thoughts? I mean, Actually, I totally forgot that they were going to the White House today until I saw uh, Tom Brady's fantastic uh, get out of jail free card. <laughs> he did um, give a get out of jail free card. <laughs> uh, he he might as well have. It, it looked like the sort of thing where like you have you were like you fake sign the permission slip um, <laughs> when you want to go on the trip and your mom won't let you. Um, but uh, but no, I mean I uh, did it. Tra- did it strike you as as like? odd or poetic in some strange way like what no i mean because aaron hernandez is from connecticut uh him and his brother uh who's dj hernandez who went to yukon uh aaron went to florida because he was a better better uh football player and was recruited by by florida mm-hmm. but they're from uh bristol connecticut which is maybe half hour from where i live right home at espn um, right right they're right down the road from espn so uh it's really just I don't know, it's tragic like mm-hmm. You know, here's a guy who, you know, just be, it's one of those things, right? Where it's like, you look at these athletes and you're like, you know, they've got these contracts and you think they've got these different lives, but, you know, especially when they're young kids, essentially coming out of college, get drafted, they haven't really changed, but the money's changed and the situations might've changed, but they're still the same person. Yeah. And so it's just really tragic, really unfortunate. Yeah. Um, I will say though, Dan, you, you do not believe that it was actually a suicide. Is that, is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, I generally believe that people that are suicidal, like want people to know their suicide. Like the, just as like, as it goes, like I've had a few, I've had friends like attempt to commit suicide Mm -hmm. and thankfully none of them have been successful. Um, but they, there was always this, it, all of them will tell you that it was like the, they left hints, they had cries for help. And thankfully they've all gotten professional help and are, are doing much better now. But so I t- just typically don't believe that just someone winds up hanging themselves. Like it just. So you just don't, you, you have a basic, you have a basic distrust of all suicides. Like, listen, the NSA is a real thing. Like I, I just generally believe in like people want, like there's ways just buying into the suicide thing without a suicide note, without like a, a, this is why I'm doing this, a last like will of testament, whatever it is like, and of course those can be forged, but just for a guy who, who was famous, who liked attention just to like kill himself and, and be done, maybe that there's for sure that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. I generally believe that that's probably not what happened. Wow. I, he was in prison. I mean, it's not like he was, I don't. I don't think they gave him like a pen and a field notes on his way out the door. Like <laughs> that, that would be true. But right. Like we're, they have we're paper in prison. Is... They don't deny them like paper and pencils. 
I'm not saying he's denied. I'm just saying like it's not as though he he could walk down to Staples or you know go into the supply closet. <laughs> sure, like, sure. It doesn't work like that. So, and the other thing is you're being a little flippant with mental health, right? I mean. <laughs> We have no idea what state of mind this guy is. Sure, in. and I don't pretend to put myself in that place. Like, but I do know that he was just acquitted from the double murder that he was accused of, and I do know that his lawyer said that they had grounds to open up his original case. So, if like, if if anything, you'd feel like he was in like the most positive state of mind that he could have been in in years. I I don't I, I don't I, pretend to think that he. It was ever in a decent state of mind. I mean, he had everything he could have wanted, and he probably killed people. Like that, that, that's fair. Well, then there's that. So I don't know if logic really plays a role here. I I have no idea what what you know what occurred, and put it like this: I don't know his mental state. Won't try to jump into that big big cauldron honestly but um but yeah i mean come on in the water's hot no sir <laughs> i'm gonna let you i'm gonna let you soak for a bit but uh but no it's really one of those things where i mean i think that clearly this man um was already dealing with many multiple things long before there were any indicators that we as a public knew honestly i mean at, at some point there was also I mean, there were places where I believe he could have gotten even um, uh, either. Oh, his draft had dropped as well. Like when he was drafted originally because of like some behavior issues. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it it is one of those. I think the whole story is tragic. The whole story is crazy. Just in terms of his like, I felt the most amount of shock just when when the kind of murders were coming to light and the, the charges were coming up. Cause I was just like, what type of person is like a pro, like, like is an, an active athlete and doing this, like, this is insane to me. Um, and then to see it kind of all end this way, it is, uh, I, I honestly have no words for it. It's just really kind of, uh, I just kind of took it all in like, wow, this is, this is insane. The timing around the, uh, the, uh, the Patriots visit to the white house. I did think that was like, really strange in terms of like I don't know in terms of when this occurred um, so I'm not going to say that they're you know I, I don't know I don't know I don't know everything I have to say is like I don't know what this means but I know that I was very surprised it, I, it felt almost like sometimes things happen in life and you're like this like someone's authoring this like right. because it's yes. a story in a way like you mm -hmm. feel sometimes you feel that way and like this was one of those things where I was like man like this this tragic story almost writes itself in a in a it very is, perverse way. It is a way. tragedy. I'm not suggesting that it's the, yeah. the tragic comedy that Shakespeare would have written. Yeah. Right. But like it is the it is the tragedy of of I mean of our culture that it's people you know they rise to fame and fortune and you know their life from past experiences follows them all the way through all of that and ultimately we have to decide if uh as the prophet kendrick is trying to teach us is the wickedness within us yeah, it's it's crazy it is it is it is insane um but i will you know 
I don't know if there is a segue that has ever been introduced to get out of that subject, but um, I'm giving it to you. <laughs> that so. one was pretty good. Right, it was, is it weakness or is it weakness? We're going to decide, apparently. Apparently so. Uh, but I, before, you know, Hernandez was shoehorned into this. I was going to say that, Doc, you, you know, you were up very late last night, you said, kind of editing. Uh, late for me. I'm, I'm an old married man, so <laughs> 11 is late. <laughs> well, nonetheless, you were up pretty late, uh, but you were doing all this because you released a, um, uh, you know, a Wu-Tang Forever length uh, CRS podcast uh, breaking down Kendrick's latest album, Damn. Um. Yeah, and I we suggest everyone go and check that out. Yes, it's amazing. Really good track by track and and other great things uh, going on there. But um, but yeah, you were listening to uh, you kind of were doing that. You and Armand, um, Dan, you've listened to the record. Yeah, and uh, Yvette, you have yet to listen to the full album, right? Correct. Okay, but you've you said that you've heard little things in the back here and there from. Here and there. Here and there. I, and I've also seen all the chatter. Is he the GOAT? Is he the greatest of all time? Is it all that? Is it? Yeah. Um, and then you checked out the DNA video, sir. I just watched Don Cheadle get it. <laughs> get it. Get it. Yeah. Um, man. So, like, I will say, like, on the last episode uh, when David was here, we kind of just talked about what we'd expect um, from the album. And, you know, I think kind of all of us were like the Damn. thing we like about Kendrick right <laughs> thing we like about Kendrick is that we don't know what to expect yeah. like we heard uh humble we um uh the heart part four it come out and it was like we could at least uh expect that this was going to be different than to pimp a butterfly um but yeah I think that this album uh when it did finally release or when it did release what maybe six hours after we uploaded uh, <laughs> our podcast kind of disheartening like our ever <laughs> our our podcast that was supposed to be green for like at least 48 hours <laughs> it was like no instantly became um, wood. but uh but yeah it came out uh last it, it officially dropped last friday uh good friday and um with, and with it there were uh plenty of conspiracy theories around what that meant, what would become the Phantom second album that apparently did not come out is yet to be dropped, <laughs> and uh, so doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so um, yeah, but it was just kind of it's been kind of Kendrick hysteria for a little bit here, and um, yeah, I think Doc, if you could give your uh, elevator summation for how you feel about the album, we realize that it's in more in depth on the uh, clock radio speakers podcast, but what were your thoughts on the album? Uh, sure. So trying to make this as brief as I can. Um, it was a, to me, a needed switch up from to, to pimp a butterfly. Um, I think when you may, I think when an artist makes really heavily lauded works, there's real temptation to follow it up with a sequel or to sort of have the weight of that hang over your career. Um, you know, when we were growing up, you know, infamously like Illmatic hung over Nas for a very long period of time. You can argue doggy style hung over Snoop for heck most of his career in a, in a weird sense. But Kendrick now keeps sort of not totally reinventing himself, but he's, he's shown a willingness to, to go in, in different directions, even though, you know, 
a lot of people would have told him, sure, go ahead, keep 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 up with that September Butterfly sound. People loved that. It was critically acclaimed. Like, why would you change it up? And yet here he is changing it up. Yeah. Um, I think he's somebody who likes making albums that are conceptual. Um, but what's interesting about this is that this and Armand talked about this extensively on the episode. This is a leaner album in terms of concept, right? He's mm-hmm. there aren't like these long skits connecting things like in Good Kid Mad City. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the sort of now oddly cringe-inducing th- interview with Tupac Shakur that I don't think holds up really well, but I know people really liked when Tupac Butterfly came out. Mm-hmm. Like you actually, it's weird because he lays out the concept for the album in the intro, and then but the actual album itself is he's swerving left and right, left and right. Uh, between wickedness and weakness and you know it but he's not having these you know lengthy interludes all all the way through the album that's that really try to spell it out so yeah i don't know if people are gonna i I think i think that made it a little took i think because that happened it took people a little longer to catch up Mm -hmm. to the concept which means that everybody you know, they heard the intro. They're like, "Oh, Kendrick got shot on Good Friday. That means he's gonna be resurrected." No, like I think people went, people went a little crazy. Um, all that to say, um, I really enjoyed the album. Um, I don't know how I feel about it overall, like in the context of his career, except to say, at this point, I don't know if there's anything Kendrick can't do as a rapper, mm-hmm. as an artist, and I can't think of much higher praise than that. <laughs> it's fair. It's good to say. Uh, Dan, did you want to share your thoughts? No, I want to hear your thoughts. Cool. Um, so yeah, I um, man, I listened to it and I like it was immediately not what I expected, but I knew that. Like I knew that. Like I I knew it was not going to be what I expected, but still had to like go through the motions of it not being what I expected. So when I listened to it, um, you know, I guess the feelings that I got from it most preeminently were the idea or most eminently were just the ideas of like, this is a very, this is a very angst feel filled Kendrick. Like this is a very urgent album. It's a very, there's a lot of, um, I feel like there's a lot of things he like that are being worked through, uh, through the album, through the songs themselves. And so there's a level of, um, there's a level of, I hate to use this term, but there's a level of like therapy that I kind of pulled in terms of listening to the record in a way in which like, I feel like artists often say this, like, yo, I feel like it's a, it's a basic rapper cliche. Like, yo, this, you know, I don't write for nobody else. Like I write for myself. And if you get something out of it, cool. Like I just happen to feel like this is one of those cases where, um, I do feel like there was, um, there's a lot of like internal conflict happening here. Um, and it's exhibited very well on the record. I also like, the, I definitely agree with the notions that it's much leaner. Um, and what's interesting is what I thought is that like, so To Pimp a Butterfly was this expansive, honestly pretty long and dense album like of, you know, a- almost like a crash course in terms of history of black musical styles throughout the United States. Like it's so many things that are going on on that record. And I think that what I found interesting is that when last year, when he put out, um, untitled unmastered, um, I thought like, Oh, that's like, maybe that's enough to kind of reset people's palette and expectations for him. Because, you know, you put out something that clearly is like, 
it's kind of the best of both worlds because it's this album that is like, hey, I'm saying in the title that this is not a complete work, but it's also a follow up. So you can kind of like get the like you could take the good from that like EP album and be like, oh, these are like his rough ideas and what you like in it. You could say, oh, I like that about it. But the things you don't like in Untitled Unmastered, you could be like, well, he wasn't really finished with it yet so (laughs) so it's kind of like i don't i could just grade him on this curve you know in this really interesting way um so i thought that that might be enough for people like for like and by people i mean myself as well in terms of like resetting expectations and say so now you can do whatever you want to do that's not the case though like when he put this out i do think it's very jarring for a lot of people and i think that there's been more of a I won't say polarized view in terms of like there were certainly people who wanted to get that same feeling that they got off of to pimp a butterfly, even if they didn't want the necessary, like they didn't want the musical styles of it. They just wanted to be blown away in some like overwhelming way that I don't know if this album did that for those people. But what I do think what I found most interesting is that this album to me grabbed a lot of people who I feel like were on the fence about Kendrick. Huh? I feel I've seen more people who I won't even say on the fence, just people who are like, hey, I respect Kendrick. I recognize he can rap, but it's not my cup of tea. Mm. Like they they for whatever reason, they're just like, it's not my cup of tea. I've seen more of those people be like, whoa, like, who's this guy? Like and that's that's almost a very like that's a very interesting thing to me, because I feel like there's this level of of almost Kendrick man it, i think doc when you say that there's nothing he cannot do there's almost this like yeah i'm gonna go back for these people too like these people who tried to not include me in their mount rushmore i'm gonna go back I, and and grab them as well also i think that there are i think that there are just some records on here that are i gotta th- i gotta think back to make sure this is true but to me it feels like he has some songs in here that are more visceral mm-hmm. than things that he's done in the past like the second half of dna mm-hmm. the first time you hear that is not an emotion and a feeling that i typically associate with kendrick lamar mm-hmm. um i think the middle part of x-rated the u2 record mm-hmm. like he is getting to this other level and you've pointed out that it might be therapy which yes is a rapper cliche but so are lots of things that kendrick pulls off except successfully right we talked about this in the show but how many rappers have talked about oh this is a this is a concept album i'm telling a story (laughs) sure no no you (laughs) had an idea for three songs and then you abandoned it um but kendrick pulls it off so uh, you know he is yeah i think he's getting to this raw level of emotion that as much as I love Good Kid, Mad City, I don't. That has a different kind of raw level of emotion, especially you know, sing about me dying of thirst. Mm-hmm. He's got this like visceral, charged energy. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, yeah, Dan. Yeah, uh, man, I I love this album. I kind of said that on the last episode that I would sit here today, regardless of its merits, <laughs> and and say that it was going to be a good album. And I, you know, uh, you know. Referencing Clocker speakers, like they talk about a, a very specific person that believes Kendrick to be inerrant to some extent, and just gets way too hyped. And I am absolutely that person. I'm absolutely that person that was like, "Yes, that album's coming on Sunday." <laughs> um, and and you know, uh, and that 
I love this album. I do. Um, it, it is so different than I thought it was going to be. I think we're all kind of saying that. Um, but I think the thing that strikes, that strikes me about this and, you know, it's true in Good Kid Mad City, it's true in To Pimp a Butterfly, and it's true here is every song is enjoyed more because you listen to the whole album. Hmm. Um, and I think that's so rare today in hip hop and music in general, you know, in a culture that puts out singles and puts out records for iTunes to put out music that is better because of what surrounds it. Like DNA, I love that song, Mm -hmm. but I, but it, the way that he shifts gears to, to yeah, an element, the next two songs, it's completely different. And it just, it creates this kind of balance to the album that I, I think lacks in most music uh, efforts other places. Um, and, you know, and, and then so the flip side of the coin is I did think there was going to be another album coming, right? So, and when the, another album didn't didn't drop, I kind of stepped back. I'm like, did do we like read into Kendrick genius that's actually not there? Um, and do we read into genius in his videos that's actually not there? Uh, because I am that. I'm that guy that like reads genius into everything he's doing and uh, and I, I think artists, especially in the film space, like, you know, people watch some of the pieces I've made mm-hmm. and they'll comment, uh, Hey, like that was genius that you did that. Mm-hmm. And what they don't know is that was a hundred percent by accident. Yeah. hundred percent just coincidence, even though I say I don't believe in coincidences. Um, <laughs> and, and so I, I, I've kind of had this inner dialogue ever since the album dropped of he's an amazing rapper. Mm-hmm. And he's probably the best rapper alive. Okay. But how? But but his level of artistic genius, I've wrestled with. Well, you know, I I will say this though, like, because that that is, I think, it's a fair question to like prod and ask yourself about. I will say that so there's a literary theory, right, where what happens is like you take a work and you read it and you read the work and there's a level of like there's a level of evaluating the work on the premise of the work itself and you completely disregard whatever the author's intentions were. And so what you do is you say like, can you support this with what's in the work itself? Hmm. And so, you know, Keats might say like, Hey, this, whatever you think the Grecian urn means, like, I didn't mean that. Like <laughs> I wrote Ode to a Grecian urn, meaning this and be like, but no, actually the but, text says, but this, is what it means. this is what it says though. Like this is what's in the work. And there's, there's a level of, of of value and verity in that i would say just because once you create the work like it's out of your hands essentially at Hmm. some point like there's a level so i guess i'm winding my way to speak to this idea that whether or not the genius is something that is intentional i don't know if that necessarily determines the actual core basis as to whether or not like it is something that is unique and special and genius whether he thought of doing that or not, huh. right? Like there's a there's there's a way you can evaluate art that, you know, in that light. For sure. I am not going to dis, dis uh disagree though that one read of <laughs> of rap genius and you look at what people have to say about his lyrics and you're like, yo, I don't think it meant that. Like <laughs> y'all are really reaching pretty pretty hard for this, you know, to get this meaning. But I just want to at least bring that point out that even if it's even if you look at the visuals of something and like you're like, um, man, like I don't you know, I don't know if 
part of what happens is this, right? Is that like an artist is this amazing artist and they, what makes an artist amazing is the type of community that they create and the type of team that's around them. And so they all kind of get like, like, like anyone under Kendrick Lamar Inc. or Kendrick Lamar brand. Yeah. It like they, the, the, the virtue all just goes to Kendrick, but Anna Wise wrote the lyrics that he's singing on lust, you know, like there's like all these things that are like all of these other people are actually putting their work in. And when you, and I saw Anna Wise, I think last month actually, and I'm just sitting in amazement because I've been a fan of her since Sunny Moon. And like, I'm like, man, I don't know if enough people know how freaking amazing she is on her own, but they see her in light of, you know, and she's just one part of this huge pie. But I say that with regard to everything. And I think even for yourself, um, you know, working on film and for your, for you as well, Yvette, like, like when you are, we all kind of have had jobs where we're working in a collaborative space. And so there's this place where like, we're doing work that might all go under, um, might all be attributed to one person, but that person is essentially the figurehead for all of our effort and all of our whatever. So yeah, and it was it was a honestly. So I think my journey with Kendrick, um, I listened when Good Kid, Mad City came out. I really liked it, and then mm-hmm. when, uh, but when Tabimba Butterfly came out, and the specifically the video for All Right came out, right. I watched that video probably twenty times, yeah, and over and over again, and I was like, this is the greatest artist I've ever like I just read so much and then I went back and I listened to his whole catalog at that point in time like I want to get into it and there was and there was so many breadcrumbs of genius that just followed through his albums mm-hmm. and but I think this has been a good dose for exactly the reason you just said like I think we as fans need to do a better job of understanding the pieces that are underneath the Kendrick Lamar brand the mm-hmm. analyzes that are that are helping kind of push this down so that you can truly appreciate it. Cause I do think that the, the reaching, um, uh, on rap genius and all that really does become where you just, you, you put this person on a plat on a, on a pedestal and you don't do you. It's a little lazy. I'll call myself out. It's a little lazy just to like attribute all these things to him and, and worship him. Mm-hmm. But in reality, there's, if you push in, you mm-hmm. can appreciate the work so much more cause you understand the pieces yeah. that are in the, are there and at work. I'm curious, Yvette, for yourself, like you've not heard the album in, in, you know, in entirety at all at this point or whatever you, I think you said your roommate kind of played like, (laughs) right. But I'm curious, like, you know, and I, and I essentially asked Doc about this, like, Hey Doc, what are your listening habits for, you know, for an album? Like, are you listening? Whatever. But part of that for me is like, I hold like listening to things in such like a unique space for myself, like how I do it. And when I do it, I'm super particular about that so i'm curious like if like you know we're now approaching a week since the album's been out and there's so many tweets and posts and think pieces and this yeah and podcasts currently like the one that we're talking about right now like all of these things kind of launch just around like this album how do you 
then like get back to zero in terms of like I'm gonna listen to this album for the first time and not let like like and not let anybody All else influence yeah influence you how, you know well you guys have already influenced me because I went ahead Damn. and I just I downloaded it like while, while, while we're I was sitting here like I'm mad that I didn't know this was happening and I'm not prepared to actually sound smart and deep and wonderful and you are on have it. all of this analysis but as you guys are talking you know um I'm I'm a Kendrick I like Kendrick Lamar yeah. right like I wouldn't go so far as to say like I'm a Kendrick Lamar fan but I'm not a fan of of a lot <laughs> honestly yeah, of a yeah. lot of people or yeah like mm-hmm. I listen it is what it is I enjoy it for the moment right I think for me like I get it right like it's all deep and you're analyzing the music <laughs> and but for me it's I'm just a regular head like yeah. the experience like d- does it knock? Like, <laughs> right. do I feel it? Yeah. Is it useful? Is it valuable? You know, I think like, I remember like when Lauren Hill's album came out, like just living with it. Yeah. Right. Because it resonated um, and it spoke something to me. It awakened something in me. So for me, art inspires, you know, and um, just like any type of art if I'm reading if I'm watching a movie if I'm watching a documentary it's very spiritual actually like where does it take me where does it take me so I'm looking forward to listening to it particularly conceptually Mm -hmm. you know but I don't I'm just that type of person I'd prefer a documentary to a movie okay right right, so I would prefer nonfiction to fiction so mm-hmm. i look forward to a kendrick album because i feel like oh is this gonna be like a documentary this is gonna be cerebral <laughs> right so it's it's interesting to me for that reason right um because i think so much of music is not that way but mm-hmm. sometimes you don't you're not in the mood for that either like True. you just want to not like i don't need it to be literature mm-hmm. per se mm-hmm. um but i think that every generation has its profit, not trying to like over spiritualize no, it, but uh, has some type of vessel or voice where something that's more than the av than mm-hmm. the average is kind of coming through. And I would, I'm the type of person who would be more likely to lean into that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so what you got Kendrick, like you got, <laughs> you've been talking to somebody, you've been meditating, yeah, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you got some clarity for us. So sure. I think that's, I'm looking forward to it Yeah, from that vantage point. I think that's fair too. You know, just from the perspective of it's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to ignore that. Like Kendrick is like Kendrick is that voice for, yeah. This age. You know what I mean? Like that's the brand that I perceive as yeah. someone who isn't like deep, 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 deep yeah. in it. It's like whatever's going on around him, mm-hmm. regardless of how subtle it may seem, you know, like mm-hmm. that's what I hear. That's what I'm getting. Right. That's what I'm and I think the music and the and the art itself also True. communicates that. Yeah, I think you know, and it's just interesting because I think there's there's people who, you know, they love they'll be like, man, I love Drake more than Kendrick. Or I love Big Sean more than Kendrick. Or I love, you know, there's there's all clearly all those people. But I, I feel like even those people would be like, yeah, but Kendrick holds this unique space, even if they're not talking for themselves. Like, I think they would even acknowledge on some, you know, larger level, like Kendrick is that voice for this age right now in a in a very unique way. Um, would Would you agree with that, Doc? yeah i think that's about right i think (laughs) no i mean 
I, I um I think what's I mean what's unique to me about Kendrick is that historically in hip hop, the the it has seemed to be that there have been a lot of occasions where the guy, and it's unfortunately historically been looked at as a guy, but the guy who is pointed to as oh that's like the preeminent lyricist, there's a long history of that artist not necessarily always having the best beats or mm-hmm. maybe even just like say Nas's that, name if you're gonna say Nas just I say mean, his name we can go further than that I mean you we can get extra nerdy and talk about everybody from Raz Cast to like we can go real deep I mean mm-hmm. there's a history of lyricists not also knowing how to put songs together sure right and Kendrick can put songs together now it helps that this production crew that he works with that he's been working with this crew of people who sort of expands and contracts over the years but they know what they're doing and he has he has it all going right now and mm. that's really rare true yeah true i mean just watching dna i was like yo this knocks like <laughs> i'm i'm over here jamming but like okay but i gotta go back and listen right, right. <laughs> like really really listen because so many people are whack and the music is great <laughs> and so you just jam and get nothing and it's like chips and soda you know like there's yeah. no nutritional value <laughs> in the song so i'm looking forward to like going yeah. back and saying okay let me almost like can i turn the beat down and like like really get the lit and i and i and that's one of the things that i did think was like armand mentioned it on um on the podcast like which i do agree with like there's a there's like a cursory listen that happens for me first where mm-hmm. like you you're just letting the music and the emotions and the feels and the right. vibe, like all of all that, that move through you. And I'm 100%. a, I'm a lyrical head. Like I'm of course listening to lyrics, but I wouldn't even begin to say that I'm understanding mm-hmm. right. the, you like what's happening for a minute, yeah. you know, for them. Like, I just want to experience music on what you're saying, doc, that visceral level to begin yeah. with. And then, and then it's like with each listen, I get more and more and I, it hits, it impacts me in different ways, which is why I'm very like, guarded about what like how long that process takes like i don't want to have to listen to something a bunch of times because i know i'm gonna have to talk to people about it like i'm like no like if you know i don't want to rush that experience for me and so i'm i'm the guy who like when someone says a really dope line in a like in verse two of a song i'm not like stop rewind that i want to hear that again i'm like no i i missed all of it or i didn't get all of it I just want to keep listening mm-hmm. to see where it right. goes next. And then I'll come back to it another point. And that's like the value intrinsically to music for me. And I do think also that like two other things I'll say and I'll open up like one, I will say the other thing that caught me off guard is that I don't know, like I'm, I don't know if this album seasonally works for me. Like, I don't know if this is like a spring album <laughs> to me, which is a very like, is very important to me like I'm really big on like when like times of the year in which I hear records and so when I hear this there are songs on here that I do think will will play you know will bring out (laughs) springtime um they will bring out maybe for the summer and whatnot but like it's just like to me like so for me um coloring book Mm -hmm. was a summer album like that made sense to me like I got that like this which Kendrick a apparently loves March and April. Like he loves to put out these albums around this time. This didn't feel like that to me. If I I can say that maybe like at night when I hear some of these songs, they work a little bit better, but there's just so much 
there's so much angst. There's so much like not a lot of sunshine. And it, it, yeah, it's just a lot of energy here that I'm like, I don't know. And not energy in like a, you know, woo-ha or Busta Rhymes way. Like, I mean, energy in just this like yeah. this uh, this conflict, honestly. That's what mm. honestly what I'm talking about. And so I, I don't know, you know, seasonally if it if it works that well for me. Um, and so that, that'll be something kind of interesting as I live with the record for the rest of the year. Um, and then whatever my second thing was, I forgot. So that's just going to be the end of that. (laughs) Yeah. Dan, what you got? Yeah, no, I think it, a little bit coming off that. And I think I was going kind of replaying our conversation about, you know, knowing the artist and reading it. And Mm -hmm. I think the other piece to this too is, uh, like, since we're kind of talking about DNA, like, I don't know. I don't know if I would have liked that song. So I just recently got to work with Mike Will, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if I would have liked that song oh, as much. Oh, it's a tribe called Quest. It's Mike Will made it. You better. You got to say the whole name. Okay. Okay. No, I'm just okay. <laughs> He's, He's Mike gonna... Will from Georgia State, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right, right, so, right. Um, but uh, you know, I I like that song. I like that song exponentially more because like I got I was in a studio with him as mm-hmm. he unbeknownst to me was working on probably this song at this point in time. Interesting. Um, and so when you, and I, I think it just goes to, again, what we were talking about earlier is understanding the craft and understanding what it goes in to make an album like this. Like right. people aren't willing to put in the time and the, the, the music behind it. And I think what we've all kind of danced around uh, for a little while now is, music is is an afterthought especially in the hip-hop industry it's and it's like hey can i just buy this beat and i'll rap over it and people will be impressed and i think what kendrick has understood for some time now it's how do how do i get the best music um and whether that be traditional kind of kanye uh beats or whether it's uh just jazz um, from To Pimp a Butterfly, he's not confined himself to a space. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd revise that a little bit, or I'd, I'd alter that only a little bit just to say that I think that music is devalued in hip-hop in this kind of on par in a way with pop music as a whole. Hmm. Like, I, I, don't sure. know, I, don't know if, I don't know if rap in one, you know, like owns it in a way that, that is particularly unique to um, other pop genres, Um personally in terms of my read but I and and I think part of the reason why I say that too is because I do think it's an interesting conversation like coming out of you know our generation and and just our culture like I'm I'm someone who's like I don't I don't view this huge delineation of like talent and genius and amazingness like I don't discount it because it came out of hip-hop in a way right and so when people talk about like amazing first album or amazing albums in general like i hold some kanye albums up there with you know it's hard to brag about him since he brags about himself so much but like i hold it i hold it up there with the the marvin gaze and the like and the and the other like amazing works that people love to like talk about in in such you know, overarching and glorious ways and transcendent ways. Like I just don't view rap as discount or as, and I know you weren't saying that doing that, but I just mean in terms of general parts of the conversation. So when I look at like, when I look at this run of Kendrick and I'm like, good kid, mad city 
to Pimple Butterfly and in this right here, I'm like, man, like I need you to show me another artist, regardless of genre, who's who's like has this strong of a run, mm. you know, throughout no. their works. I love Fiona Apple, but I'm thinking like, yo, if I did, you know, if I did title, if I did, you know, like if I, I'm going through people's works that, that way, you know. No, I love it. I mean, I, I totally agree. It, it's interesting because. Literally, the last full hip hop album I listened to was to Pimp a Butterfly. Like, I've mm. listened to other hip hop mm-hmm. since, and Coloring Book, actually, that's not true. Coloring Book was probably another album that I listened to from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, like, I've kind of been in this place of listening to just like instrumental, like some, some, some folky, some kind of just like guitar, just piano, just like mm-hmm. true instrumentation a lot lately probably for, for the last year and a, or so it takes a lot for me to get into a that like that hip-hop place where i just want to listen to that because it lacks so much musicality and i think that's true i don't listen to pop music in general like right. i just don't listen to the radio i don't listen to ed sheeran's newest stuff like right um so I'm, i it's probably just based more off of when i am not listening to um kind of more instrumental style things i am tuning into hip-hop that's probably the one genre that i'll tune into definitely feel you see it's weird because like i've been doing my podcast for so long that i don't even know what it's like to be a music fan without it anymore Hmm. like Hmm. i i listen to new music all the time yeah because it's an i have a built-in excuse to do so Mm -hmm. and i kind of appreciate that because the temptation as you get older you get into your 30s you get in you know eventually we all get older now but like the temptation is to you sort of settle in on well this is what i listen to mm-hmm. and that's it and so far i haven't hit that and i hope i don't but i it's weird right because i i have such a distorted view on what it means to be a music fan because i'm in no way uh, i have in no way do i have typical listening habits so that's that's really yeah. interesting to hear like because for me it's like yeah i listen to new albums every week <laughs> yeah no totally sure i and i'm i'm envious of that because i do get in the car and i literally have this playlist that i just throw everything i love in this playlist and mm. it, it is like it's nice outside i'm like driving mm. down the road like i'm not trying to find the new album that just dropped right. i'm trying to enjoy this moment and i know that this playlist of it's gonna 250 help songs is gonna <laughs> shuffle and it's gonna play what is gonna allow me to enjoy that moment yeah same and and so same. it's refreshing to hop into new music and have the gravitas that this album does have to pull me out of that yeah and say like hey there's something actually you can trust that this is going to yeah. be worth and i just maybe i maybe i've become disillusioned since starting fourth honestly like when I when we started fourth, mm-hmm. I listened to new music literally every day, mm-hmm. and through the process of like listening to terrible, terrible <laughs> music over mm-hmm. four years, mm-hmm. I've become less and less inclined to like trust that it's going to be worth my time. Interesting. I'm it's sad, but so true. I'm bit. God help us. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but Doc, I mean, I love it, man. I'm, I'm glad yeah. you're out there because so I can just listen to the clock radio speakers and you can tell me what I can, what I should go listen yeah. to. I mean, it's, me wrong. it's funny how that works. Like my 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 brother's uh, man. I don't know. He's five years older than me, and he's essentially. He just waits for me to curate yeah. hip hop for he him. Like I just I basically like, yeah. like I figure it out, and then I'm like, "Yo, Sharif, like 
this is a guy you should listen to. And he's like, okay, okay. cool. And like, but he's like not going to do the work himself. (laughs) And I've, you know, I've been in that place too, where like, I, I, I already know the stuff that I don't think I will like, but I still make a point to listen to like a lot of different things, even just as an artist myself. Like, of course I'm going to do that, but it's funny. I heard one of the conversations about like, (laughs) <laughs> like this other dude I know, uh, Stereo Williams, a great music critic. He was talking about how weird art, weird people are in terms of their like zealousness around like around like particular artists. And this, he was saying that these people were making the case that Kendrick cannot be an all time great because people over forty don't really know him like that. And I was like, wait, what? Like that's just goofy. Like that makes like if that's the if that's the bedrock. Like that if that's the like if that's the standard we're holding, like you have like, so we're just going to discount like everyone else because he's not the favorite of a demographic, amorphous demographic of over 40 year olds. It's just, it's really kind of strange. And I think, but I do think people have very programmed, like we're like, whenever that age is that you are like, Hey, these are, these are the top people then it like becomes this static thing where you can't ever accept anyone new Mm. or anyone else like arriving and being like, Hey, no, I'm, this person is absolutely great. This person is transcendent. This is a once in a lifetime artist, you know? Well, I think what ends up happening at that point is that great is equated to longevity. Interesting. So it's like, you know, you take an artist that has touched multiple generations Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden they're, perceived I feel like almost as being great simply because they've been around a long time but like that doesn't necessarily mean (laughs) that somebody new coming in isn't exciting and new and deserves attention you know what I mean absolutely but I think that's what happens because I'm like, like man like I don't like, know who that is you young you new, <laughs> like you whack like what? I don't like the sound of this and so I think it's that sort of universal this is this is going to be a good song for example, like when you think of some oldies or classics, mm-hmm. they're good songs. It doesn't matter how old they are. Yeah. So I tend to think like that. Like, interesting. Is this going to be, this is whack now. This is going to be whack later. Like, <laughs> this is great now. This is going to be great. It doesn't matter when you turn it on. That's funny. I just, in a, in a, but I, I will like to say that in, in an effort to listen to new music, I peeped, uh, Yachty <clears throat> featuring Migos song Peekaboo in which Yachty says a line in which uh, he says that um, that uh, I got this B uh, she yellow and she blew on my like a cello which I thought was interesting because I didn't think that a cello was a wind instrument <laughs> I believe it's a string instrument but, but it rhymed, but it rhymed, bro. But I just, I just, I just wanted to funny. let everybody know that in in Yachty's world, cellos are wind instruments. <laughs> yeah, that's what I got. Anything to add <laughs> to that, is, Doc? This is why we can't listen to. <laughs> uh, this is this is why Dan's disillusioned and discouraged. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill O'Reilly. You can thank me. Put it in the comments. What? What? Let, so this is. I did nothing. I did nothing. I <laughs> no, 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 no. You need to own this. So Bill O'Reilly apparently, not apparently. We found out earlier today. Bill O'Reilly is out at Fox News. 
um it's kind of it's interesting kind of he's departing essentially after like a two and a half week uh after this new york times investigation came out where it revealed like fox news um and 21st century fox um had has like repeatedly stood by him um as sexual harassment allegations against him had kind of just continually come out um they had reached settlements with five women um, who had complained about sexual harassment uh, or other inappropriate behavior. And uh, the agreements altogether totaled uh, about 13 million. Um, This, they kind of weathered the storm a little bit for a while. Like he was uh, kind of put on this like weird hiatus for a little bit. Um, But during this time, more than 50 advertisers had abandoned his shows and women's rights groups had uh, essentially called for his, you know, his removal. Um, you know, I do think, uh, oh, also let's just say that in the company, Fox women had been expressing outrage and uh, had questioned top executives about whether they were kind of serious about kind of maintaining, quote, as they called it, the culture of trust and respect. And so, um, this, of course, follows the previous summer in which um, chairman of Fox News, Roger Ailes, was also uh, forced out as well. So, yeah, Dan, you want to take credit for uh, for Bill? O- how do how how is Bill O'Reilly, you know, being being ousted? What did you do to make that Listen, happen? Millions of people listen to our podcast. That's that's that already happened. The analytics prove this out. Yeah, like we don't absolutely. That's just numbers don't uh, lie. So, and in that in in said podcast, I just alluded to and enlightened everyone that he is the uh, reporter from V for Vendetta, uh, or the like news anchor for V for Vendetta, and everyone woke up, <laughs> take a drink, realize realized that we were living in V for Vendetta, yes. and that change needed to happen. Yes. Yeah. And and so that's that's what ended up happening. Yeah, and so fair. Advertisers <laughs> listened, top execs at uh multiple uh blue chip companies. <laughs> and now we have Bill O'Reilly uh, a Bill O'Reilly less world, uh which I think is a better world. So I'd rather live in that world. <laughs> I mean, I guess like doc what does this say to you if anything about um does it well I'll just throw it out there does it does it say that does this speak to the power of protest and organization does this speak to the power of you know capitalism like is it the av- you know, the advertisers losing out is that accent is that essentially what this is more uh kind of uh highlights or is this is this a do you think do you have faith that Fox News is essentially trying to do the right thing or Fox as a company is trying to do the right thing. And this is, um, you know, them actually taking these steps to do so. What like what does this tell you, if anything? It tells me that news is built off of selling ads and when advertisers abandon because of pressure from people, it's a wrap. It's the only thing that matters. Fox doesn't care about these women in no way, shape or form. Fox cares about making their shareholders happy, which means they carry about ratings because ratings means that they can charge advertisers more money. This is literally what they care about because that's what they're, that's what the system that we have in this country has. That that's how it works for large publicly held companies, right? right? These, you know, CEOs feel like they have a duty 
to their shareholders, which I could go on a whole rant about how that's mis- misguided MBA culture nonsense, but that's how they <laughs> feel. So, you know, that's the way it's going to be. Um, it, it's nice for Fox that doing the right thing happens to also coincide with doing the thing that will enable them to keep making money on their eight o'clock show after advertisers abandon them. But like, it's not like Fox grew a conscience. And if they did, it's not like their advertisers would care. It's money. So. Yep. <laughs> I'm failing to see the problem. I mean, the, the problem, I mean, the, like, can we not, can, knowing that that is the, the means in which change happens, can we not understand that that is the rule of the game because i think to discard it as like okay that is um that sucks or that's immoral uh, like that's the rule of the game and so now can't we play that game and can't we understand that that financially like we can create pressure because advertisers want to sell to people and we are people so i i i I do under, I understand your disgust with it. I'm not trying to discredit. No, it's that. not. Dis- I mean, I wouldn't say it's disgust. It's like I mean, but the problem is, you know, the rest of Fox is a platform that has. I mean, literally, like there is an entire generation now of older Americans whose political views over the past 20 years have been completely warped by Fox News, and that's been very beneficial to these advertisers because they can sell things to people. And so this is just one guy and they're just going to slot some other blowhard in his spot and they're going to keep selling ads. That other blowhard is Tucker Carlson, just for the record. Mr. Bowtie got booted (laughs) off a crossfire himself. Like it's the same stuff. They're going to keep pitching. Oh, you should invest in gold. They're going to keep selling the same. You need a pill to counteract the effect of this pill. Like it's all advertising. It doesn't matter. Nothing has really changed. This was just, Fox had to do this to stop the bad press. That's all. So I would also say, just so I'm clear about, you know, your part here is that when you talk about the advertisers, you're essentially saying that the fact that like the advertisers are hmm, trying to go off of the language you just used, but I would say there's, they're sensitive. They are sensitive when it, when, disgust reaches a certain point at which it doesn't make sense for them to buy ad space anymore. So Dan's right. Like there's a pressure point here. Right. Mm-hmm. But this took a lot of like, I mean, yeah, it took Dan's prediction, obviously, but uh, of course, all aside, it, it took conceded effort by people to, to work together to make this happen. And it's just one show, mm-hmm. you know, right. this sort of advertiser based pressure is really difficult to pull off in a sustained way because Bill O'Reilly is just Bill O'Reilly. Like, there's an entire right-wing ecosystem that's problematic here. And it's one show. It's not the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, the culture inside of the company is what has these women <laughs> irritated yeah. and wanting it to stop. And so it kind of gives attention to it. And yeah. the advertiser thing works out. But ultimately, it's a, a much deeper issue. Um, I'm interested to know who were the women kind of like in the soup or who were the groups in the soup that at least made enough noise that it got to this point because there had to be some new heat because this has been happening since 2004. So, you know, to Doc's point, they didn't grow a conscious. It's been wrong. It just hasn't been a financial problem until now. So I'd be, who are the 
these people have names and faces mm-hmm. that kind of created at least enough heat. Yeah. Um, because they've been paying money. And they they got it. Thirteen million. It's like, oh my God, thirteen million. Please. Yeah, yeah. I think we're good on that. It's been thirteen years. It's like a million a year. Like. Yeah, I think that ain't it. I think what's interesting is so you have these advertisers who, like, the advertisers they're they're just looking for eyes. Right. You know what I mean? Like that. They're just like. I don't care who the eyes are, but if there's just eyes that are watching that, like, what do we, where, like, we're going to pay what, whatever we have to pay, wherever we have to pay to get in front of some eyeballs. And like the thing, you know, doc, that you were talking about where there's this, like, you know, this right wing ecosystem of problematic media, whatever you want to call it. Like Fox news has continually been, has just crazy ratings, like crazy meaning, not that they're actually crazy, even though that's arguable, just the idea though, that they're like, these numbers are very high. Um, right. And so advertisers essentially are like, Hey, we're, you know, we just want to hit a 2.8 million demographic in the prime time. Like we'll pay wherever you could be up there talking about like, like Satan kittens. And we'll be like, Hey, like we'll pay to be in front of your you're Satan kitten show. Point, yeah. You're, you, you're pulling 2.8 million yeah, people. Like, right, like, right. like we'll, we'll, Perfect. we'll figure <laughs> out some, we'll figure out something, some product we sell that works with your audience. I do think like, so I understand that part of it. And I also, I would throw out there like when, what was that? When Rush Limbaugh had, uh, what was that? 2009, maybe something like that. When he had called, the one woman, um, he called her a slut, I believe, uh, the woman who kind of testified before Congress about, um, re- like, uh, what was it? Repro- I'm not sure if it was reproductive rights or whatever, but kind of he was, it had to do with health care and the argument around like, you know, should health care cover, um, you know, birth control and something like that. And he called her. So that had reached this critical mass in which enough pressure was raised that like this idea of of advertisers were just leaving him like it was a large door out like a lot of people were leaving however uh once the heat died down a lot of those advertisers came right back and bought that space right back up once they realized that it was no longer um toxic to be associated with the brand of rush limbaugh and so i think that i i I guess my, my my what I've dealt with when hearing this news about Bill O'Reilly's dismissal is just like, yeah, like it it doesn't like I'm trying to figure out what matters and what doesn't matter about it. Right. Like it matters, I think, in terms of like, hey, this shows like a sustained voice, pro, you know, really putting this pressure on in this way can affect advertising, which then can affect a change with regard to the lineup. Now it doesn't change the fact that like it's still pretty uh, dangerous and, and, and bad rhetoric that will occur when you have, when Bill O'Reilly is just kind of this figurehead, someone else will fill in that spot. But I am also like, so I think like I'm trying to figure out what do I, am I pessimistic about all of it? Or am I also just like, Hey, I don't have any grand other lessons out of this that I'm pulling. All I like is that something bad happened to Bill O'Reilly. Like, is that okay? (laughs) If I just wanted something bad to happen to Bill O'Reilly and like, not like, I don't see this as any sea change with regard to our democracy or like the way in which things are going to be 
handled any time further. I'm just like, yeah, Bill O'Reilly. You got yours. You take a L. Like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, I that's definitely my, like, enjoyment of this. <laughs> okay. Like, people that deserve to get L's should get L's. And, like, like his loofah freakness needed oh, to, man. like, go find the biggest L ever. I forgot ever. about the loofah. And Jeez. like, and there were, and, and, and not to, and I'm sorry if I, I am, I am making light and I shouldn't like lives were ruined and they, and they'll never be made right. No matter how much is paid out or whatever. So like dudes like this, like this culture, I mean, we did an entire don't do that bro podcast on sexual harassment and like how it, 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 it creates the culture, um, that it can thrive in is created uh, when people of power, men and in some m- more limited cases, women get this incredible power to push the boundaries and and no one pushes back. And I think we as a society and culture, we need to start pushing back. And I know that we can dismiss this as like a drop in the bucket. Uh, but at the same time, like I'm going to like, I'm going to cheer on every single drop in the bucket. Like I have to, gotcha. if I don't, then I'm going to become a cynic who just raises my hands and says, I can't do anything about this. Like, this is why I, I be, like, I believe in starting businesses and, and filling gaps and helping people have alternatives that are true and good and right and do things the right way. And I think if we are going to complain about it, we should do something about it. And I hear show in my ears being like, we need, you know, we need to, start businesses that provide opportunities and I totally buy into that. Um, and I know again, there's the other side of that argument that I am waiting for doc to, to say, like you're trying to fix a broken system and, and, and because I am not smart enough to know any other way, I guess I I'm, I'm willing to keep pushing by counting the drops in the bucket and, and, and saying, how can I make another way in my limited resources? No, not at all. I mean, I just, I just, the only reason why I was raining before is just, I, w- I just want to make sure that, and I think you all have said the same thing, which is that, you know, Fox didn't do this because they g- suddenly got religion about, you know, w- what it, what it means to take the safety of its female employees seriously. For sure. Right? They, they did this for very cynical, cold. I mean, frankly, just ca- like, you know, financial, re- you know, related reasons. Um, I'd love to be able to give them the benefit of the doubt and to that things have changed, but I don't know, you know, this Roger Ailes left last year. It doesn't seem like a whole bunch has changed. (laughs) So I don't know. (laughs) I I just hope that maybe my hope is in, is in this. Cause like I, I come from my, my dad watches Fox news. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I grew up listening to Sean Hannity. Um, who has the most punchable face on TV for sure. Okay. Just want to continue. Um, and I'm just hoping that for my dad and and him as the like metaphor for people who watch Fox News. Now my dad's not crazy, but I, I so I think that this actually could work for my dad. There's obviously the the like you know people out there who will never stop to think, but I think for people like my dad who kind of fall into that demographic of you know logical thinking people who have right leanings, that it causes them to stop and be like, there is something wrong here. Oh yeah. Like mm. they can't, you can't just continue on as someone is di- like taken off. And, and, and I think that even if it's just a moment there, again, it's uh, cascading moments that create 
big change in people. And it was moments like this where I listened to things that Sean Handy said that people raised their hands and said, that's not right. And, and, and I, that's what actually led me to be like, okay, start to question things. Like he says these things, I took them as gospel truth for a lot of my life. And then I started to be like, ah, I don't know how I feel about that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my, my hope is in, in the individual that hears that Bill O'Reilly is no longer acceptable uh, to Fox News. And it causes them to be like, hmm, maybe not that Fox News is now like fixing itself, but more so like Fox News is harboring these people that have time after time transgressed in this terrible way. Yeah. Hmm. Well, well, I, I just want to say, like, I think what you're that's great. I think what you're saying is that you hope it awakens some type of compassion because culture isn't going to change until mm-hmm. you know, broken systems are created from broken people. And it's not until business owners ask the question, are our women safe mm-hmm. and are men or vice versa? Are there people inside of the company that making making their coworkers feel unsafe yeah. like until that changes because yeah it's bill o'reilly yeah it's fox but women are sexually harassed every day everywhere mm-hmm. in every like everywhere yeah. you know in companies large and small and they don't have advertisers that can come and pull money mm-hmm. you know what i mean like how do they create pressure from the inside to, to get you know so it's like this is this is cute and this is just more ratings almost right like cnn's like yo check what happened more so than it is yeah. about women it never was about women right right never i think that's a poignant uh a poignant last line to kind of move to the fi- last final topic of today just like you know there was um <clears throat> there was a killing that occurred uh man i guess we say um it happened on uh Easter, honestly, um, but it was uh, it was a man, um, and for the sake of the podcast, we'll say his name, which is Steve Stevens, um, who recorded a Facebook Live video of him approaching a 74-year-old man um, uh, by the name of uh, Robert Godwin, and um, he kind of was recording on Facebook Live, went up to the woman and said, went up to the man and said, uh, you know, Hey, can you do me a favor? Um, and he asked Godwin, you know, can you say the name Joy Lane? And the man replied and said, Joy Lane. And he said, yeah, she's the reason why this is about to happen to you. At which point Stevens, um, asked Godwin how old he was, then raised a gun into his frame and pulled the trigger, killing him on Facebook live. Um, this was broadcast and then he, essentially before this time before this part of the video was caught he was also saying earlier that you know that this is all the result of you know of his of joy lane who was um his i think they think she was his former fiance i think they were engaged for a little bit of time but that was his girlfriend they had recently called it off and she had called it off and you know got away from that situation he then said i think earlier he had said that his he had talked to his mom about how he was feeling and his mom didn't really like didn't really hear him out or something like that and so he said you know so you all can blame basically my mom because she made this animal is what he said and then he was like and you know blame joy you know joy lane 
And yeah, then this led into after he killed this uh, 74 year old man who was collecting aluminum cans after eating his Easter meal. Just just heartbreaking and tragic. Uh, He then went led went on a manhunt or went on a kind of just was kind of on the run for essentially almost like a day and a half. I think he was essentially uh, eventually found. Um, in Erie County, Pennsylvania, um, he went to like stopped at like a McDonald's or something to get some get some food in which they recognized him and tried to like delay his food. And then he kind of left and said, you know, or he just said, I had to go. I have to go. He started leaving. They had already called the police. The police ended up catching him a couple miles away. They rammed the back of his car. Um, and once the car spun around, he he shot himself and killed himself um, on the site. So um, it's just a heartbreaking story. It's just really, really terrible. Um, and it brings up all these questions about like uh, a, bun- a bunch of things about the role of business and media. And like this thing was, like I said, broadcasted on on Facebook Live, still very much available online, as was found out on pre in, during pre-production. Um, but then it also there was this weird kind of a response while once it happened, once the killing initial killing happened for the day and some change that he was kind of on the run. There was almost this social media response and backlash that kind of saddled the woman, Joy Lane, with the burden of what this man had done, this horrific crime, this horrific, violent killing. And was just like, hey, she should have called him. Even people had said very terrible things like she should have been the one to die and not not this you know senior citizen not this old man um it just really kind of very interesting and terrible and perverse way brings out this conversation around domestic violence and 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 um and also in particular revolving around black women black women have a higher rate of being killed by their partner than uh any other ethnic group which is is kind of crazy um and so I don't know. Um, just, you know, Dan, we were kind of talking before, like you were, uh, I don't think you were aware that you could see the video and, uh, and you found out that you could. Yeah. What, what were your thoughts about that? Yeah, no, it was, it was crazy. So in pre-production we were, you know, I knew I'd heard about the Facebook murder. I had read some articles and I made the comment I, like is this still available like ha, mm-hmm. like has facebook like basically made sure that this no longer exists anywhere and i uh googled it um and i opened a website that was the second link on the google search facebook Mur- facebook live murder uh and the second link said graphic content and it had a still frame from like halfway through the video as as he's raising the gun and to be honest like I, cl- I was like, oh, like I'm gonna click on this, and I clicked on it, and a Don very like as as he does in in more more ways off air than on air, kind of, you know, life catted me. He was like, dude, like <laughs> don't we don't need to watch this, um, and I was like, well, what's wrong? And like I kind of made it ten seconds into it, and I was like, you know what? He's right. Like there's no re. We know what happens. Um, but it was crazy, bro, because I literally, as I was clicking it, like I play call of duty, right? Like mm-hmm. I, like mm-hmm. I, I, I really enjoy call of duty. Right. 
and when it's midnight and I just finished like a project and I just need to chill out, like I, I'll play Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. And it's literally the still frame looks like just like a still frame from point of view from Call of Duty. Yeah. And I click on like, and it, there, like there's this, this, um, desensitization, that's not the word. Desensitization. Right. Something along those lines. Um, <laughs> for me that like, even as I'm clicking on it, uh, that it like it doesn't trigger like this is not an okay like this is a real man who died yeah. Yeah. like there's so much sensationalism in this world that like yeah, it's like this isn't a character. it's not a movie yeah. it's not like a a you know there's even like the last year there's this like kind of groundbreaking POV movie that was shot where this per like this secret agent is like running around and you know killing people or whatever this. and there's been some music videos that have kind of sure. copied off of it it feels like that. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like people and and like you know the dawn of VR and like mm-hmm. and these first person games that like you literally are going to feel yourself holding weapons and other things in these games and shooting people in fir- in first person not just a little controller or whatever. Right. It, this whole world, I, I you know I'm a product of it. I'm very much seeing that, and it was your reaction that kind of like snapped me out of like. It's not okay. And so it just leads down this whole trail of like, what world are we creating? Yeah. And not that that excuses this man of anything, but we do have to think about what, what, is, what is the outcome? What other things are going to happen because of people are attracted to, to watching? Yeah. I mean, there's a voyeur culture that we've, that, you know, we can argue about when this has started, but it, it certainly is here now, you know? And, uh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Like right in, right in front of us. And so there's, there are horrific act of acts of violence that happen often, um, too often. Um, however, you know, there is a particular uniqueness when this is done for public consumption in a way in which it's like, we want others to view this as well. And, and yeah, and it's not just, you know, what happened to me. So, uh, for you know for those that don't know i'm originally from this area i'm born and raised in northeast ohio like 40 30 minutes outside of where this occurred the killing occurred and so um i just noticed initially around this time all these people on my facebook feed kind of just saying like hey i didn't need to see that like just status updates that say like yo i I just watched some i didn't need to see or they're just like Mm. people saying like don't show this video and i didn't even know what had happened like it had it hadn't reached news yet it was just kind of people in that area just saying like hey that's terrible i didn't you know and so as the half hour went by and a half hour then it kind of you know as per usual social media was ahead and so what ended up happening is i started to see more of what occurred and i didn't watch the video but there were some still shots that people had posted that just they hadn't been flagged yet i wasn't able to not see them and um, that was enough for me you know Mm -hmm. um but it, I do think that, you know, it became, it's, it's almost this weird question that ends up happening where like, you know, while the, you know, social media doesn't make the violence happen, but what, what happens when the violence is spurred on by the ability to, to broadcast and share and make this available? So there's a lot of questions that happen here before we go to you, Yvette, Doc, what are your thoughts about all this? I admit I wasn't really curious to watch this at all. I, 
I mean, I was saddened by it, but I feel like that's the, the what I said that about Aaron Hernandez. That's like the theme of the day. Like, oh, I'm saddened. Yeah. Um, but, you know, um, what really struck me is we have more than ever before, and this is a cliche, but I'll say it, we have more than ever before the sort of the reach and the, and the power uh, in these devices that we all carry on us all the time now. I'm sort of surprised that it took this long for something like this to happen in a weird way. Um, you know, uh, I know for, you know, if you're somebody who sort of likes to make fun of Facebook, you know, on occasion, uh, sort of, you know, oh, I, you know, you, you think that you spend your time on other social media platforms. What's really interesting is as Facebook adopts things that might have been pioneered elsewhere, we'll, we'll see the reach of that because, I mean, frankly, like, I think at this point, more, I think what most of the people in America have a Facebook account, you know, billion, you know, over a billion people on earth have a Facebook account. So mm-hmm. the power of something like that in these mm-hmm. devices that we all carry with us, this is just the beginning. I mean, because there's no automated way to stop this, you know, Facebook has people who are manually going through and when things are reported as being, you know, content that, that should be, that shouldn't be on Facebook, people have to manually review it. So right. we, we have the technology to, to have this reach, but we don't have the technology mm-hmm. to automatically remove stuff that violates a, you know, a term of service or an ethics code or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we're in this in-between stage where, Stuff can spread way faster than they can check it. Mm-hmm. So this is incredibly unfortunate. Everything that has been said, I agree with. But it's just, it it sort of struck me to think, you know, we've seen what social media has been able to do in terms of uh, filming incidents of police brutality, using the power mm-hmm. of social networks to spread that wide. Mm-hmm. But that power also has a dark, has a dark side, has a downside on occasion. And so... There's been lots of ways in which social media and which live streaming has been used to, you know, people, you know, people get caught on Instagram throwing drug money or money around. They wonder why the cops show up at the door. And that's a small example. And this is a really dark, really terrifying example. And I I have no idea if we have the ability to control this kind of power. Yeah, I I think all of that's really, really accurate. There's a there's a there was a case not too long ago of honestly, everything just runs together. I think like maybe five, four or five days ago where there was a kid um, here in Georgia who was playing with a, yeah. a gun and, I uh, saw that. and uh, he on Facebook live and, and shot himself in the head, killed himself. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it's all and like you said, right doc? Like, I mean, Philando Castile's murder, occurred on Facebook live. Right. It was a case of, you know, the police off the, the girlfriend kind of activating this and kind of like, Hey, I want to kind of capture this for, but I remember watching that and just yeah. feeling just chills down my spine. Cause I'm like, man, I, what did I just watch? You know? Um, but it is something, you know, there is a level of like shifting weird, like people don't know who to blame in these cases, what, which, which comes off strange because there are a lot, there's a lot of anger that does get directed towards the platform, towards Facebook. Um, for people who aren't, you know, don't understand how it's moderated and or how it's, you know, like you said, manually curated in ways in terms of like, we have to check. We, there, there are people actually watching this of saying, Oh, this was graphic content or we need to take this down or we need to whatever. This isn't, 
like you said, the the technology is further along than 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 where we are now. And so I'm I'm rambling at this point, but Yvette, you know, with this, with what also happened, even um, I was talking about with the San Bernard, uh, San Bernardino killing um, a few weeks ago, in which uh, uh, kind of domestic dispute of which a woman, her, I don't, I think her husband was estranged at this point, but like they were estranged, but he shows up at the school friendly demeanor gets through everything and all of the people just assume oh this is a husband checking up you know coming by to say hello to the wife and um then he goes on a shooting spree kills her and um also i think a a a young boy was killed as well too is that right eight-year-old yeah um but there's just so many countless cases of you know what social media is kind of talked about in terms of fragile masculinity you know they they say this in terms of like men and their egos and like being rejected in some way shape or form um from a marriage situation or even just a casual yeah casual you not giving the number or another like that and like it immediately turning deadly and women losing their lives over this like i you know i don't even know where to go with it other than just to say like you know, you were kind of talking about the culture at Fox News in this case, but like we have this larger, you know, as much as in this case we point fingers or might be pointing fingers at Fox News, like there's this level of in our society and in our culture that isn't respective of politics. It's just like this is the way yeah. that men are behaving with women. Yeah, I mean, just to even go back to just the the first case and her name's Joy Lane, right? Like even the irony of her name, it's Joy Lane, you know, and for it to be something so horrendous and it almost makes me feel like the killer knew something about how much culture hates women because Mm. his goal was to demonize her, blame her. Right. And the power of even that intention is exactly what happened. Yeah. As a result, like the hashtag is Joy Lane Massacre. Like that's what he wanted. And so the inability, I guess, just of people to make that, like to get that, to understand that. Right. Mm -hmm. And then automatically jump on the bandwagon. But I don't know. I think we just, we got to do a better job of being neighbors Mm. and having conversation, less accusation you know, um, with people, because it's true. I mean, I see it as well. I've, I, I actually have a friend who had a friend, right? So it's like not Mm -hmm. that far removed of a young lady who boyfriend killed her, threw her out of the car. Like, Mm -hmm. because he was like, if I can't have you, no one can have you, Mm -hmm. you know, beautiful girl. She was in an acting class of a, of a really good friend of mine and murdered her probably within the last six months. Wow. You know, so and it was just my my timelines blowing up because, you know, people in the industry and everybody's really upset that this 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 girl's been murdered. So, you know, it does it happens, I think, more often than we would like to to admit. But I think about it as a woman, you know, like if somebody's trying to talk to you, you know, how do you get away from that situation alive and hope that it doesn't turn ugly yeah what i hear often and you see this play out in in like social media conversations in really weird ways like is that people will say like men will just say like well it's not that hard you know like 
just give them a fake number just get, like not realizing that dudes will actually like call the number in front of the girl and if it doesn't go like there's there's so many ways in which like the burden like you said kind of gets shifted to the woman to like coax and manage yeah yeah like essentially like you've got to kind of soothe this and make this okay yeah and i it's it's really kind of disgusting and it's something that like i think that i was uh i i was aware of to like some degree but i would say that like over the last five years it's just been something that's been more and more kind of prevalent in terms of my i mean you get older but then you also i'm observing yeah, like the boy yeah i'm observing younger dudes and men and i'm just like yo we, we're doing it wrong like this yeah. life thing it's wrong like we're yeah. doing it so terribly wrong yeah. and there's just disastrous results um yeah it's just the comfort comfort with the culture comfort with the music comfort mm-hmm. with the misogyny comfort just comfort mm-hmm. yeah you know nobody has like the hard no you have to delete half the music on your phone wow if you really were like, I'm anti this, you wouldn't have anything to listen to. Yikes. Not that it's, you know, all rappers fault. No, I'm no, not no. Trying I know what you're saying. That, yeah. But, you know, but there's it's a level everywhere. of there's a level of it permeates it, you know, and and it permeates it all the way to Fox News. Like, it's way. not That's it's right. It's not it's not just the urban culture. It's not it's man. It's, right. it's I mean, yeah, I mean, magazines, it's everywhere. I'm sure if we you know audited the walls of msnbc you know what i'm saying like it's not partisan either like there's there, like like there's ways in which uh this plays itself out um throughout all levels of society throughout our religious institutions our churches right our our, our our places of worship synagogues mosques. it's just eve is very hated very much yeah very much very so, much so very much so and it's just it's it's really kind of this very um, it, it's it's a way in which I've come to realize, like, man, like I'm a I'm a part of this, right? Like, like mm-hmm. I can say that this is elsewhere. I can say that this is happening. You know, I'm not doing outside it, right? of right, right, right. I'm but I'm like, no, like I'm 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 was raised and groomed in this, and there's a level of like like I'm in the sphere, and so it's absolutely something that I have to like own and work through in terms of just like making sure that I'm like being aware and talking you know and evaluating myself but then also just like uh having you know close women friends who are beside me and letting and talking and hearing their stories and hearing their experiences because I know for a fact that has made me a lot more um aware than yeah, I was just before sensitive to yeah. like even like right now I need gas and I'm literally looking like, man, it's dark. Where can I go get gas in a place that's like well lit? Like where you probably wouldn't think that, right. but I'm thinking that. Do I have enough to get someplace where I feel better about it? Yeah. Because. Yeah. Because. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? There's and a I great think about gas station with a 24 hour cop that will make sure to hook you up. Okay, thank you very much. I'll, I'll trail you there. It's <laughs> thank on my way you. Home. Yeah. Um, but to, uh, yes, you need to be have women in your life that are helping dudes and putting my don't do that bro hat on like you need women dudes need dudes to like sit down with it be like we're not gonna have the pecking order pissing contest that like is so intertwined in our like and is the first go-to for like a male relationship Mm 
but they need to have dudes that are like, let's have a real conversation. And how are you doing? How, like, like where we can emotionally connect. And I think so much of Facts. the only soft conversation that men can have is with these women. And so they become idolized. And when the women step away, they have no other, they have that singular relationship that holds the totality of their emotion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. instead of having this group of uh, of guys that it's not the locker room, it's not the fraternity, but it's like it's conversations and and good friends that do life with one another that hold each other accountable to being better than they should be. Um, and yeah. and they need that too. Yeah. Um, and I think that there is a, a a a terrible lack of guys holding other guys accountable to be like that's some bullshit true yeah some social emotional wellness yeah right? oh, yeah very 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 sad um doc any last thoughts about this or anything <laughs> uh, this or anything no i I've, I've said i've said more than enough i was happy to listen more in that last set, uh, yeah. session of the show yeah yeah well uh what we have um on off the record is something we call scratch of the week in which we talk about uh just something we want to shout out something we think is dope or maybe not dope i don't know but we just want to kind of highlight that and um you know tell people to check it out or look into it um is anybody ready i i I can go Uh i'm ready oh oh okay yes well i would like to shout out y'all know i'm a fan of underground the original series on wgn yes and i think it was last week um it was the most i felt like it was very groundbreaking and very risky of an episode it was a complete hour of harriet tubman her character right a monologue for Mm. And and yes, yeah. an entire hour. And Aisha so, Hines is Aisha it? Hines is her name. It was Damn. amazing. It was from a a speech of Harriet Tubman's, and she's speaking to a room full of of abolitionists. And you know, I'm thinking, you know, the first segment. It's like the first segment of the show. So maybe it's seven minutes. I'm mm-hmm. thinking, okay, that was long, but it's not that it wasn't good. I think just the TV person in me is thinking. So are we doing this? Are we, are we seven whole minutes? Like I respect that. So then commercial comes back on, yo, she's still going in, but it, it ministered to me. It was like a sermon and it was like the testimony of Harriet Tubman. And Mm. like, I got sleepy halfway through and I thought, but I got to turn this off so that I can be present for the knowledge that she's dropping. So I don't know. I just thought kudos to them for taking that risk. Yeah. I wonder how much conversation they had to have ahead of time and clear that like, okay, Coca-Cola, we're going to talk <laughs> for like 45 <laughs> minutes, you know? So shout out to underground, and, but I highly recommend watching it or at least watching a portion of it, Yeah, you know, to kind of just to hear her testimony literally yeah. of, just her experience and her bravery and how she got into her, you know, she's explaining to them how I got into this work. Like you yeah. never really think of watching Harriet Tubman tell you <laughs> how she did that whole yeah. underground railroad thing. <laughs> no, it's really interesting. Like, so I think I told you, I, I, um, I had heard the buzz around underground when it initially came out, but I don't have cable. So I rely solely on streaming. And so okay. <laughs> I waited until, uh, uh, it was available for on streaming. Yeah. On. And I went ahead and I watched like 
the whole first season, but which I'm glad, like, I just, I, I'm so spoiled now. Like I, 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 I just can't watch one episode of anything. I'm like, what? The next one's not available. Are I you know. kidding me? So like, I, I enjoyed the fact that I could just binge, binge the entire thing. And so <laughs> I really, life. yes, I definitely enjoyed that. Um, that first season. And I know it's, like four episodes yeah, in? like four in yeah. season two. Yeah, so, um, but I'm like, now that I'm invested, of course, it's harder for me to not want to like watch this in real time. So I'm definitely going to try to um try to catch up a little bit and, and watch it more and see. And so that's what's up. Uh, Dan, you got yours? Or? Uh, Yes, I do. Um, kinda, I'm going to stick with the same theme of amazing uh, TV shows that uh, I dig. Uh, so uh, I was telling you that in pre-show, uh, this show on Netflix called Chef's Table, uh, talk about just binging four, three or four seasons um, of Chef's Table uh, happened. Um, we were over, <laughs> I was filming uh, in uh, in Germany, and so I didn't understand a single uh, channel that they had over there. So every night was like four episodes of Chef's Table, and it is done so brilliantly. Uh, the film or like the cinematography, the filmmaking, the editing, the storytelling—it's incredible. It's diverse. Uh, it's unabashed, and it doesn't pull punches. Mm-hmm. So, um, super, super good. Um, just work of art. Put it in your queue. Uh, so you know, I guess I have, uh, I have one main one, and then uh, just a really sh- short aside. But um, I have a homie. Well, my short one is just that, you know, shout out scratch to uh, Serena Williams, hey, apparently out here in uh, these <laughs> out in these streets uh, winning, you know, freaking majors, grand slams while she's pregnant, which, um, you know, I don't think anybody's favorite uh, anyone's, you know, goat could possibly say uh, in terms of athlete of all time michael jordan ain't never won nothing pregnant you know that's true all he's got is a flu bro (laughs) i'm saying like the flu that's all you got the flu i grew a brain today (laughs) right 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 it's not more than sickness baby (laughs) right a fully formed human being was in my belly while i won what about you but um but yo i want to shout out my homie um his name is trawan he's a He's a writer. He's a poet out of uh, I think he's out of Dallas, but I've I've known him online really for about I don't know about four years or so. But I met him a couple times in person, and he's a he's a spoken word artist as well. And so I've seen him uh, when he's come through uh, Atlanta area. But I want to shout him out because he recently got some fame uh, for a good reason. Um, he's uh, also like a Lyft driver in mm. in. Uh, Dallas and apparently what had happened I was trying to pull up the story because it's been covered and picked up a lot by some major networks but basically what ended up happening is he went to pick up a woman uh, on a uh, you know to pick up a, a, a passenger and when he got there um, this uh, woman was super intoxicated with her friends and her friends essentially was like put her in the back of his car and then gave he said like here's her key here is where you're going can you just like wow drop her off at the place and like they were just gonna leave her and they were just gonna leave her and what he was saying he was like no i i refuse like i can't i'm not gonna do this he was just like that's not safe like i will she, he was like we can do anything like are can one of you all come with her and like 
take her in like obviously he said i will waive the fee for you to like come back you know like i just no dice yeah like i'm not gonna do this like one (laughs) right aside from the racial dynamics i'm this black man with this passed out white woman in the back seat like aside from that just a man with a woman period like i don't you know that's just crazy and so he essentially he said like i will even wait here while you you know if you want to call you know um an officer or somebody you know like who will come and like oversee this but he was really he just was really insistent on refusing like the fair in this you know in this way because he was just like hey we've you've got to do better as like you know protecting one another and and what he ended up doing is he was really you know he talked about it but he also made sure you know kind of walking that line of saying like i'm not blaming the woman or the friends but you know for the actions of men it's really bad that men are doing this to begin with that women have to be this like this protected yeah yeah. have to be this way but like there's a way in which we need to just really make sure that we are um being vigilant and making sure that we're just not like sending off our friends with strangers and in such a compromised state and so um anyway his story kind of got picked up and uh a lot like i think like lyft incorporated like they have they have kind of recognized him and he's uh he's a good dude good person and it's really good when other like the world gets to see someone that you know is good being recognized for being good and so just want to shout out my man Trawan so Trawan for every Bill (laughs) O'Reilly for every one of them yep there's a Lyft driver out there that'll hold you down (laughs) that'll hold you down (laughs) in your time of need Doc what up man take us home so I'm let's see recently I started reading a new book um it's called Glass House. It's by a guy named Brian Alexander. Hmm. And it tells a story. I, I am somebody who I I like to read uh, mostly nonfiction. Um, I'm, okay. I'm born like that. But um, it tells the story boring, of... No, that's how you of, get to uh, work at Yale. That's, right. that's how that happens. Uh, <laughs> Harry Potter <laughs> didn't get me there. <laughs> tells the story of, uh, of Lancaster, Ohio, hmm. um, which was at one point home to the largest gla- glass manufacturer in the world. And, uh, you know, uses that as a lens to sort of examine what has happened in so many towns, right? What happens Mm -hmm. when the factory goes away? What happens when drugs come in? Um, What happens as, you know, private equity buys a company and you see all of a sudden the execs make a lot more money, the average person making a lot less money. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I, I live in New England, which is full of these old factory towns and one thing that has really like stuck in my car over the past couple of years is trying to figure out like, what do we do with these places? Mm-hmm. Right. They're not going away. People still live there, but the reason why they existed in the first place, like a lot of these towns, like I, the town I live in, uh, existed because we had mills mm-hmm. because there was a river, because there are rivers and there are tons of these towns in new England. What happened when those factories have dried up? So, what do you do now? Right. Yeah. Like some towns have made it work and they figured it out. They got big enough, but there's a bunch of these like mid-sized, not, not quite cities, not quite small towns. And so I've been like pursuing whatever I can to try to figure out answers to this question of like, how do you solve this problem? Mm-hmm. Right. Cause like, this is not where like people are going to move for, you know, high paying white collar jobs necessarily, but we can't just give up. So as a, as a part of that pursuit, this is yet another book I'm reading. 
Yeah. What's the title again? Glass House. Glass House by Brian Alexander. That's right. Yeah. No, that's, that's really good. I would yeah. say like that's that's my that's my hometown essentially. Mine is a small town, kind of like thirty five thousand people maybe at the most. Um, but yeah, like we, you know, Republic Steel, Rubbermaid, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of you know Hoover vacuum, like all of these factories and and yeah. honestly outside of republic outside of republic steel the two i named are the only still functioning companies that are like still have an active factory but i of course you know i grew up in a time when like you graduated high school and like you know the thing was like you get a job at that factory Come for on. and everyone be like oh man you're making 18 dollars an hour like working the, you know and like that was the thing and like like really you want to like there was the argument about you going off to college when you're you're going to spend money when you could just make some like money but then what type of security do you have when 15 20 30 years down the line you know that business you know is no longer there and so i have tons of uh family in that position and so um i didn't know that necessarily about um about New England like that. I, I definitely, but coming from like the Rust Belt area of like Detroit and Cleveland and all Akron, like that's that's certainly my story. So I'm definitely gonna check that out. That's good. That's good. Dope. It's good. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was off the record uh, with just a, a smidgen of Clock Radio speakers. Doc, thanks so much for joining us, man. Really no appreciate it. No problem, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And definitely please check out Clock Radio Speakers. They record much more religiously than we do. Um, and you can definitely check out all the music, all the good stuff. Uh, Yvette, thank you for coming back and, and being here with us. And this is the beginning, The you know, now that um, the first lady of Fourth District label is back. Uh. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I know you've got crazy projects and all that jazz but we're always happy when you're here thank you for having me yeah yep dan we're getting out of here yeah man let's go to bed (laughs) (laughs) 